Good afternoon, 7 Investors, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of 7 Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm the host of the show, and I'm being joined today by Steve Symington. Steve, do you know what today is? Today is a special day. Do I, I know what today is? Um, is it the, the anniversary of some horrible stock market crash? It is that, and that will be our lead topic. But it is a, it is a couple of things. It is St. Patrick's Day. It is Manisha Sammy's birthday, our very own Manisha Sammy. It is her birthday. Uh, and Steve just disappeared. That's not good. So it's oh, it, Steve is back. Hopefully, here. hopefully that works. It is Manisha Sammy's birthday. It is St. Patrick's Day. It is our friend and former colleague, Gabby LaPera's birthday. So it is a day we'll be drinking green beer. We'll be eating empanadas. Gabby's mother is a fabulous cook. So I'll, I'll try to recreate something in her honor. We'll be drinking... Uh, uh, seltzer water for Manisha, whatever it is, all of those things will be happening. But first, Steve, we're going to talk about the sad anniversary of the pandemic. And let me, let me give you some perspective on this, on the pandemic. When things first shut down in mid-March last year, I started stress booking travel. And at first it was like, well, it's March. I'll book some things for like August. And so I booked a couple of cruises, August, September. But then I booked one for my birthday in October. And I'm like, well, there's no way this won't happen. And of course, it did not happen. How did you approach it, Steve? Did, did you, in March, have the idea that it was going to go on for this long? And Steve is, again, disappearing. We, uh, there he is. He's back. Uh, we don't know technically what is going on here. We're working. Steve, how did you approach the beginning of the pandemic? Did you ever think it would go on for a year? Uh, no. Um, to, to my wife's credit, she, she feared it would. And uh, I, I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. This summer should be pretty much normal. And and uh, I, I'm a perennial optimist, so I think that's kind of how it functioned. But, you know, we ended up canceling a couple trips ourselves. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was sort of stunning uh, that, uh, that it, it lasted as long as it did from my perspective. But uh, live and learn, right? So we're starting to come out of the pandemic. This felt like a good time to look back on the topsy-turvy stock market. Let's give a little bit of perspective here. It's a one year ago Tuesday. The stock market dropped 12% in a single day. Steve, that's scary, but it is actually fairly typical, right? Right. Um, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, people don't realize kind of how normal, well, I mean, that drop was was substantial, right? Uh, it was, I think- The, the, the second well, biggest percentage loss since World War II. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it felt terrifying uh, at the time for a lot of people. Uh, but it was also one of those things where, where I was stepping out and, uh, you know, I was, I remember actually looking at my phone cause I was on a walk, uh, and we were visiting some friends out of town and I was like, Oh my goodness. And that was like a kid in a candy store <laughs> looking, you know, I I'm pulling up my watch list trying to figure out what I wanted to buy at a discount. And, and, uh, so, I mean, it felt terrifying, but we need to recognize this patient long-term investors, that those are the times when really fortunes are made and, and uh, your, your uh, substantial amount of returns are driven. So it's just a fantastic time, uh, most of the time, to buy so, because they, they end up being temporary. Steve, when this happened, and it was very temporary, we'll talk about that in a second, it was also the biggest drop for the NASDAQ ever, 12.3%. But what happened is, and it's pr pretty logical, people went, there's a pandemic, is this going to devastate restaurants and travel and all these other things. And it did. It did devastate those things. What it didn't do is change the long-term view for most companies. Obviously, some went out of business, some changed. But the reality is there was a bounce back pretty quickly. Uh, the example I'll give, 
Starbucks took a really big hit at the beginning of this. They had to close all their stores. Uh, they were open for drive-through. They had to pivot to do pickup and delivery in some locations, but they had that infrastructure in place. So relatively quickly, they were back to about 70% of their sales. And all things considered, that's pretty strong. Some companies even recovered more fully. But the biggest thing we saw here, Steve, was an acceleration of the model for some of these tech companies. Can you explain a little bit about what happened there? And then yeah. we'll talk a little bit of Amazon and Teladoc because I sure. I know so uh, the the big thing that we saw was, um, you know, I, I guess a lot of companies ended up sort of testing their metal and, and we got to see how they responded to big pullbacks like that. So uh, it was one of those things where uh, a lot of uh, high growth kind of tech companies became higher growth uh, tech companies as their stories were accelerated by the pandemic. So. It was uh, it was interesting to watch because we we had a lot of businesses whose growth stories would have played out eventually. They just played out or, or came to fruition rather uh, a lot more quickly than we had anticipated uh, it happening in the first place. So uh, we had a lot of things pushed forward and a lot of valuations really kind of stretched in the process. Uh, but you know, there's there's an argument to be made that some of those were justified as their stories were accelerated. And and that's kind of what we did all of last year at 7investing as we were searching for and monitoring these kinds of companies. There's also a lot of, call it, emotional-based trading. People are, are looking at a news story and they're buying and selling very quickly based on that news story. And I'll give an example because Teladoc is down quite a bit today. And the reason for that is Amazon. Obviously, you don't want to compete with Amazon. They've expanded their Amazon Care Healthcare program, which is a tele small t medicine program uh, that they've made available to some employees. They're expanding that to all employees. Mm -hmm. And there is the theory that they will expand that to the general public at some point in the future. Steve, I think there's a ton of room to disrupt traditional healthcare. I, I used a telemedicine appointment through our healthcare. My son had a horrible allergic reaction uh, being outside this weekend, uh, needed some eye drops, got it in about 20 minutes, picked it up 30 minutes later at a 24-hour yeah. pharmacy. Great experience. But I have no idea if Teladoc powered it. Do you mm -hmm. think Amazon entering this space is a potential disruptor to Teladoc? I actually think it is because I'm not sure you care if you're on a Teladoc platform or if you're on an Amazon platform where you already probably are for so many things. Right. And I don't think, um, I, I think it will be sort of a potential disruptor, but I also think there's room for multiple winners in the space. It's so big, uh, the markets that they're chasing. So I'm not sure you could say like, oh my gosh, Teladox, you know, Teladox growth story has changed that its thesis has been disrupted if you were already bullish. The, uh, and I think it is more than a theory, you know, that they're looking at, at different enterprise customers, actually, uh, the, the manager of uh, the Amazon Care, which you know, it launched its pilot program a couple of years ago. She actually said, you know, Amazon Benefits is the primary enterprise customer that we're catering to, right? So they sort of think of themselves as, as different companies within this giant company, even though they're all sort of under, under the same publicly traded umbrella. And uh, they do realize that, a lot of big enterprise customers' needs for telehealth are very much the same, and they could scale this and uh, and really disrupt uh, a lot of companies in the process, particularly Teladoc, which is why shares are trading lower. But I don't think this is a thesis buster. I, I think it's one to be wary of. My, my concern <clears throat> about Teladoc, we've talked about this before, is I'm not sure the branding matters. I'm not sure people are seeking out Teladoc. We went through our health insurance. Now, 
it was a $55 appointment. It might've actually been cheaper to just go to Teladoc, but then they wouldn't have had our insurance info. It was very, very easy. So I do think you've got to watch Amazon, but I tend to agree that there are going to be multiple winners here. There's going to be providers that simply don't want to be on an Amazon platform. And I, I think that's, you know, there are privacy concerns. Our own Max Chasco shared to us on Slack, there might be antitrust concerns. And I agree with that. Amazon is facing both rational and irrational uh, regulatory concerns. And I'm not so sure that the federal regulators are going to want them taking over another giant space or even getting a big piece of it. That being said, you're watching 7investing now. We'd love your questions on the pandemic, the stock market, where things are, are going, where they are. Uh, we're going to talk in the next segment about uh, inflation concerns and the Fed. And in the third segment, we're going to talk about Walmart and Dick's Sporting Goods making a move into, I call it, you know, high-end clothing. You don't really think high-end clothing when it comes to Walmart. But uh, that being said, Steve, so if you have a company, a Disney's a great example. Their Disney Plus was basically supposed to get to 100 million subscribers by like 2023, right. and they got there in like a year. Very yeah. good. They're already there. Does that change anything for you about Disney Plus? Like, I just say that it accelerated my thesis, so you got some of the stock growth faster, mm -hmm. but there's obviously a long way to go. Is that largely true for these tech companies? I think so. You know, in Disney's case, for example, uh, when you look at a company, and I, I think what they were targeting was, uh, it was something like 90 million subscribers by 2024, and that was the point at which they determined that they would most likely be, you know, cash flow positive uh, for the business. So they were planning sort of a, a you know, relatively rapid scaling, but the pandemic was, I mean, by happenstance that they launched Disney Plus uh, just a, a few months before the pandemic hit was maybe the best thing that possibly could have happened to a company like Disney. Uh, and they're a very, you know, sort of pronounced case. But uh, again, a lot of a lot of this has been reflected in, in uh, many of these companies' share prices. But we also have to keep in mind that, uh, you know, it also improves their financial position. Oftentimes their, their kind of balance sheet, their ability to um, pull on operating leverage uh, to, to really improve the business and, you know, reinvest in other areas of the business more rapidly uh, or, you know, potentially distribute capital to shareholders. I know Disney likes to return, I think at least 20% of the cash to generate to shareholders in the form of dividends and repurchases. So, uh, you know, it does, it not only accelerates um, kind of their, their growth story, but uh, massively improves their financial condition on timetables that they really, you know, many of them hadn't anticipated uh, when they, when they initially had these plans in place, which were all in place before the pandemic happened. So uh, those who were able to capitalize on it, and realize that growth faster than expected are the ones uh, that will really benefit shareholders over the long I, term. Though. I think we learned a lot about management. There are some companies that really struggle to make changes. Disney yeah. immediately, and this is true of Starbucks, this is true of McDonald's, Domino's, a lot of really strong companies. Uh, Zoom, this is true of Zoom. Zoom took all its resources for 90 days early in the pandemic and took yeah. them off development and put them into security because they were growing so quickly. I think what we saw with Disney is it's not just the trend of streaming that grew. We saw, I don't want to call it the death of theaters. I'm going to say the change of theaters where we're really only going to go see the biggest movies in theaters. There's, there's a lot of films that simply don't, you don't need to spend $200 million to make the movie and then $200 million to market it. Mm -hmm. I think the latest Wonder Woman, which was terrible, uh, is, is an example of that, where if I paid for that movie, I think it would have died a pretty horrible death <laughs> at the box office. Because I didn't, 
eh, it's just another thing I get on, yeah. on HBO that makes that subscription worth it. Um, and I think that trend has changed. Steve, you've been to the movies a few times since yeah. uh, since the pandemic. That is that something you're going to continue to do simply because you have young kids? Is an it's an activity? Do you think your habits have changed at all? Uh, I mean, not really. I, I would have gone to more movies, obviously, had the theaters not been shut down. But it, it's also kind of nice right now. Uh, we went to I think it was Ryan the Last Dragon uh, when it came out. Uh, the the new Disney. Um, studios animation uh film and the the theaters were at 40 percent capacity and they kind of changed the way you order so there weren't people walking in and out of the theater and it was a nice nice experience but i was a parent with kids i'm gonna bring them to certain movies when uh when we're able and when the movie's worth it and you know as an adult who's a fan of you know marvel franchises and star wars and stuff sure i'll go to those movies but I really hasn't changed uh, the way I approach it, short of maybe preventing me from going and seeing movies that would have come out that didn't, you know, Black Widow, for example, and, and other movies that I would have been in the theaters for. I'm not sure I would have gone to the movies because I live in Florida and there are no rules here. So while I do believe AMC, <laughs> and the, which is the local movie company, is following procedures and guidelines, things do tend to be a bit lax a lot of places here. So I would be wary of that. That said, Steve, I saw the Oscar nominations and I yeah. was surprised that neither Scoob nor The Croods got a nomination <laughs> for Best Picture because I was pretty unclear that any of the movies that were nominated came out. And I yeah. do think that is going to be a problem going forward. When you have these films on Netflix or Disney Plus or, or wherever it is, I do think there's a little bit of obscurity to them where you know the people who have that service watch it and we kind of have no sense what's successful unless you get something like Bird Box, which like builds a huge word of mouth and becomes kind of a sensation. I do think we have a lot of good movies that maybe more people are seeing them and less people are talking about them. I, I don't know if that matters economically, but it doesn't feel great to me about the business. Yeah. Steve, we're going to take a question here from our very own Max Lucas. Before we do that, well, Max is an affiliate of, of 7investing. He is a friend of the family. Max is going to be on 7investing now a week from Friday. We are going to talk about his new book. Uh, so as a prelude to that, let's grab his question here, Sam Bailey, if, uh, if that works. I feel like Amazon going after Teladoc will be like Facebook going after Match or Pinterest or Google going, going after Zoom or when Amazon went after, after Shop or Etsy. Um, I kind of disagree. I think healthcare is broken. I don't think too many Teladoc fans, and again, Steve, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I don't think too many Teladoc fans are specifically fans of Teladoc. I think they're a fan of telemedicine. And I don't know that there's any differentiated branding there. So then it becomes a back-end game. Who does Teladoc sign up to partner with? Because I'm pretty sure you're just going to go with the most convenient. And hey, Amazon already knows where I live has my credit card information. They have a pharmacy. They have a lot of things they could do. T tell me where I'm wrong, Steve. Um, I, I think that's relatively on base. Uh, you know, it's not so much a matter of consumers, but partnerships in the back uh, right now. And, you know, Amazon's got reach, but so does Teladoc. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not so concerned about it from a consumer-facing side because you're right. Uh, they, <laughs> they're not going to say, oh, that's the Amazon one. I don't want to use that. I want to use the Teladoc one. And they'll be like, well, tough. That's not what we have. So it, it's really a matter of how well they can kind of leverage their partnerships and, uh, and actually roll out their solutions elsewhere. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying this will work, but I think if, if you're Amazon and you're competing with Pinterest, mm -hmm. a lot of people go, but I love Pinterest. I, I'm really not sure a lot of people are like, I love Teladoc. Again, I've done a Teladoc specific appointment and it was great. It was easy. 
going through my wife's insurance company, I, it was a little bit harder. There were some repetitive and kind of dumb questions, but for the most part, it was really, really easy. And I think from the point we decided to do it to the point I had a prescription in hand and the pharmacy was half an hour away because I needed a 24 hour pharmacy, it was less than an hour. We're going to take the question from ZL next. If you want to pull that up, uh, Sam Bailey back yeah. at the home office in Houston. We don't have an office. Sam's in her house. Um, do you think tech growth will regain leadership over reopening stocks as more people get inoculated and life goes back to normal again? Hmm. I, Steve, I'll let you answer first. I have some really distinct thoughts here, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't think all tech uh, will regain leadership over reopening stocks. I, I think what we've kind of seen here is the, I, I do think this is kind of a, a broader bull market. And I think what we've seen is the bull market kind of broadening. Really, people were sort of... <laughs> wrongfully ignoring a lot of these reopening stocks. And finally, you have some kind of flows in there. But I don't think I, I think I don't think tech broadly is as weak as some people as maybe the pullback would would indicate. And I think we do see um, a kind of realization that a lot of these tech companies have more sustainable growth than, um, you know, this so-called pivot to reopening plays might indicate in their share prices. So I do think we see some relative strength kind of as things settle down, but it's kind of a unique time right now because, you know, you have vaccinations uh, more broadly available and uh, life kind of going back to sort of a new normal. And uh, I do think we, we see uh, some, some relative strength in tech going forward that, uh, you know, once sort of this, this pivot uh, finishes up. Yeah, I think this is a false narrative. I, I think we've created this idea that, you know, somehow Boeing is a good investment because like <clears throat> it's going to take a long time for demand to get high for planes. Now, there are a lot of really strong travel plays that were strong through the pandemic. I'm not an investor in casinos, but a case could be made for some of the casino companies that they were in a really good cash position before the pandemic. There's going to be demand. A lot of people don't, you don't spend months or years necessarily planning your Las Vegas trip. Uh, this show will be coming to you live from Las Vegas next week. Um, just me and I'm, I'm vaccinated, but uh, my first trip in a very long time that involves a plane. That being said, I don't think, you know, some things like people, oh, Disney, the theme parks are going to reopen. Disneyland's going to open. Capacity is going to go up in Florida. And yes, over years, that is going to play out well. But remember, there's been a lot of economic damage due to the pandemic, and also it takes time to plan a Disney vacation. If all of a sudden in July they go back to 100% capacity, that's going to be really good for locals and pass holders because they're going to have to offer all sorts of deals. You might see a little flurry of late summer trips, but trips that cost four or $5,000 for, for you know, a family of four to go to Disney World for a week. That is not something people are necessarily going to be in a position to do quickly. So I think this idea that there's going to be a giant reopening, I'll talk about cruise lines. Royal Caribbean is briefing uh, travel agents today. And a lot of people believe they're going to you know, set a date for when they start uh, some short sailings, probably just to their private islands, some of which I will likely be on. Uh, that being said, you can book cruises for next year for a third the price you could book them for. Now, when they officially reopen, might that push demand and price higher? It might, but they've already sold a lot of rooms at depressed prices. So when you look at reopening plays, consider them over a five to 10 year basis, not even the normal three to five, we, we might say as a, as a minimum timeline. I would really look at the long 
term timeline. So we're going to take one more comment from JE, and then we're going to move on to what we're watching. Uh, I used Teladoc for the first time last summer, bought shares the next day. Definitely more a fan of the concept than the company specifically, but I did have an amazing experience. Steve, have you, have you used Teladoc? I haven't. No. Um, it, it's compelling, but uh, I've heard nothing but good things from the people who've had experiences like that. Yeah, it's it's great, and technology is only going to make it better. At the beginning of the pandemic, when I was broadcasting four or five hours a day, uh, I was worried about my voice, and I thought maybe I could have someone look at it. And I tried a teledoc appointment, and there's not much they could do for you over teledoc. You know, they can't really examine your vocal cords or figure out what it's going to be. So it's one of those scenarios where it is great. It does replace a lot of doctor visits. It doesn't replace all of them. With my my son. I had to send them pictures and it was very obvious what his allergy issues were, um, you know, and it was very simple to get done. I, I think telemedicine has increased because of the pandemic. We don't want to go to the doctor more so than we normally don't want to go to the doctor. That said, Steve, are you ever super eager to take your kids to the doctor when you know what it is and could just put them on camera and, and get it done quickly? I don't think you are. No. With that being said, we're going to move to what we're watching. We're going to talk the Federal Reserve and inflation fears. But before we do that, uh, first, David Strauss, uh, seven investing meetup in Vegas. Yes, please. When the world is normal, when it's okay to meet up, when when, vac when vaccines are common, I promise you I will, will make some, some of my time available. I'll let people know when I'm going to be in Vegas and we'll do a, a meet and greet, a coffee event. I'll let people know some of the short cruise trips I'm taking. We'll do some you know, some investing talk and that kind of thing, unofficial, sort of just more, you know, Dan and whoever feels like coming along. I'm going to grab Max Chatsko on one or two of those trips because he's uh, he's single and has the availability to do it. So we promise when the world is more normal, we will do some things publicly, whether that be officially or unofficially, uh, because I miss people. I'm really eager to meet our members, to shake hands with our members. But Steve, <clears throat> not only can you join 7investing right now, and still get in on our Friday new member call, 10 a.m., our existing member call, 11 to 12.30. That's going to be followed by an everyone can watch it special 7investing now at 12.30. After that, we're going to tape our team call, which is a, a monthly podcast we all do together. And after that, we're going to tape our pitches where we pitch each other our stocks for the next month. Uh, so we're going to be broadcasting live or taped for about seven hours on Wednesday. But Steve, if people want to join 7investing, there is a way they can do that where they can also get a discount. How would that work and how would they do it? Right. Uh, if you go to 7investing.com forward slash subscribe and use the code now, N-O-W, and that will get you uh, a $10 discount on your first order. And you can uh, check out what we have for either 7 bucks or 160 bucks if you use that code now, uh, 7investing.com forward slash subscribe. Uh, that's all of our premium recommendations. Get access to these subscriber-only calls and access to our team. So uh, pretty fun. Access to, access to premium research. And really, you get to be more of an intimate part of the family. We interact with members. The members' calls are a ton of fun. We're publishing lots of text that's not published on the free side. I don't think there's a better value in the investing world than spending uh, you know, 10 bucks for a month of 7investing. And we promise you're going to want to stick around. So that year deal, that is a great deal. And you also save $10. So you get it for $160. So that's not only two months free. It's basically like two months and like two and a half weeks free when you work out the discount. But with that, Steve, you've been keeping your eye on the Federal Reserve and inflation fears. What do we know? This is, I, 
Inflation is right. not something I worry about all that much. I, I think the market dramatically overplays like an, an eighth of a percentage move or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, what are we watching today with inflation fears? Yeah, you know, I've hit refresh on on some separate screens a couple times to see what's coming up. But uh, the, the Federal Reserve kicked off a two-day meeting on Tuesday. Uh, broader markets pulled back pretty hard yesterday. Again, today they were kind of mixed. Um, I have an expected policy statement from Chairman Jerome Powell. Really, they're going to be elaborating on their thoughts on how they're handling interest rates, how they'll uh, essentially um, monitor inflation. We'll see updated projections for economic growth, unemployment. Um, really, uh, it, it, it's kind of a tough what I'm watching because, um, you know, yes, on one hand, you have concerns for higher inflation and increasing bond yields that have caused sort of this, this so-called rotation out of richly valued growth stocks and into value stocks and economic reopening plays. Uh, I do think a lot of those value stocks were sort of underappreciated. There's a couple of them on my scorecard uh, for seven investing picks that I've played uh, some insurance companies and, and uh, financial uh, services companies that were sort of underappreciated. But I, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that over the long term, uh, most of these short-term concerns shouldn't really have any bearing on how patient long-term investors approach buying and holding shares of great businesses. Um, so while I'm watching the Fed statement in the sense that, you know, I'm almost certainly going to get questions from our members, um, questions on social media from people wondering why the market is swinging so wildly in both directions, I still don't believe that the repercussions of what they say will have any real material bearing on the stocks that I'm looking at buying. And, uh, you know, short of maybe creating buying opportunities in the process if they happen to, to pull back hard. Uh, this isn't something uh, that should be really, um, you know, I keep an eye on it. It's good to understand, but maybe not the most important thing you should be thinking about uh, when it comes to an, analyzing businesses uh, and, and picking them up. The media, and again, I hate to have a lifelong journalist. I hate to talk about it, but you have a lot of people that are business reporters now that aren't business reporters. And you'll see a story like, you know, this costs X amount more than usual be, and that's inflation. And here's mm. the reality. At the beginning of the pandemic, remember when there were toilet paper shortages? There weren't toilet paper shortages because they couldn't make enough toilet paper. There were toilet paper shortages because something like 30% of the toilet paper sold was sold for offices. And that's a different toilet paper than what you use at home. You could actually buy office toilet paper rolls if you wanted to unfurl them yourself uh, from <laughs> office supply places during the, because you, you don't have a toilet paper dispenser like the big ones they have in offices. So it really was about shifting production. Some shortages were about increased demand. You couldn't buy hand sanitizer because that wasn't something we normally went through a lot of, and now we had to. And we saw, go to Target now, and there's no shortage of hand sanitizer. There, there's a shortage of maybe exactly the paper towels that you want, but there's no shortage of paper towels overall. I, 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 I've dubbed this the golden age of brawny because I feel like the people at brawny are just endlessly high-fiving, thinking they're geniuses. Here's the reality. They're out of bounty. Nobody's choosing brawny. It's just what's left. But that being <laughs> said, people are, are conflate some of that. Gas prices going up. It's been all these political reasons, all these gas prices always go up in the summer. And as the world is opening up, people are venturing out more. So right. I really do think you need to look underlying at a company, at a business and say, well, what's the reason for this? Remember, like, remember when Chipotle was running out of guacamole in some places or last summer where there was a real fear that that because of the Chinese pig flu, we were going to not have enough pork. Well, those were short-term concerns and they don't change what you think about Chipotle. Might change their sales 
for a month or two or a quarter or a year or whatever it is. But I think with inflation, we overinflate, which I know is is a silly <laughs> pun. Uh, Steve, that being said, what's your your final word on the Fed and inflation here? Uh, we're we're going to get some comments this afternoon. Markets are probably going to swing uh, one way or the other, depending on what he says. You know, they're expected to hold rates steady and continue sort of the st- strategic buying of bonds. Uh, nobody expects any big surprises. Um, but, you know, the market's going to do what it does. And, uh, you know, as long as I think you just steadily continue looking for and buying shares of great businesses month after month, just steadily adding to your portfolio as your cash allows, uh, everything's going to be fine if you're a long-term investor. Uh, don't try to time the tops and time the bottoms. Uh, buy businesses at what you consider to be relatively attractive valuations relative to their potential uh, over the long term, and uh, and the rest will take care of itself. And when you listen to people about stocks, make sure you you're listening to people that understand beyond the top line numbers. Let me give a big example here: Walmart and Target, two of the strongest retailers in the world. There is every chance that Walmart and Target will have negative comps at some point next year. Because we're going to start going out more. And when we go out more, we might buy less groceries. We'll go through less paper towels. We won't need as many of whatever. And maybe we'll have to replenish our dress clothes. And Walmart and Target aren't generally the places we go for those. So will there be some shifted spending? Yes. But you could argue with Walmart and Target, they added new customers. They pleased existing customers. And while they might have some difficult comps, that's not going to change the long-term trajectory of either business, which is really really strong. But Steve, we're hitting the home stretch here and you're watching 7 Investing now. Just a programming reminder. We're going to be live at 12:30 on Friday with the whole team. So, uh we're doing our our members only call at 11. That goes about 90 minutes. We wanted to go right from that into 7 Investing now. So, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at uh, 7 Investing or at Worst Ideas 7 on Twitter. If you have questions for the whole team, uh, for, or for people who aren't here, like maybe you want to ask some biotech questions. Maybe you want to ask Matt Cochran about, uh, you know, payments and other issues. We would love to hear from you. But that being said, Steve, this is a weird one. So I read <laughs> yesterday, Walmart and Dick's Sporting Goods, they're launching fashion-driven clothing lines. So Walmart has uh, has hired acclaimed fashion designer, Brandon Maxwell. I've never heard of him, but apparently he's on all sorts of shows and he's very acclaimed. There, there's not a lot of acclaim when you only wear one shirt. Um, he, he was on Project Runway, uh, and he's had uh, A-list celebrities, including Lady Gaga, Michelle Obama, and Oprah wear his designs. You can tell I'm reading, because I've literally never heard of this person. Uh, I'm guessing he hasn't heard of me either. Uh, he's going to be in charge of creating affordable, high-end fashion at Walmart. Let's get into Dick's in a second here. But Steve, you've been to Walmart. Do you think the Walmart customer, in a broad level, is looking for this? This seems to me like an attempt to expand that doesn't make uh, that much sense. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if it's a if it's an attempt to dress up uh, some of their core clientele or uh, to draw in new consumers or a combination of both. But eh, you know, I, I'm not. I, I don't know. And maybe they're looking at, at kind of what uh, what you know Target has done pretty well uh, with some of their. Um, store exclusive brands and clothing lines and stuff. So maybe uh, a push there, but affordable high-end fashion, Walmart don't quite seem to go, go together, I guess. And, and uh, I, I'm not particularly um, compelled uh, by the idea. Let them try what they can. 
But it feels to me that Target, with its owned and operated brands and its partnerships with, say, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they went mm-hmm. up a level. They went from like acceptable gym wear to gym wear you wouldn't be embarrassed at like wearing out in public outside of the gym. Like I've always thought like Target sells like one sport coat. And my mm-hmm. thought was like, if I ever saw someone wearing that sport coat, in my head, I'd go, that's the Target sport coat. And you don't really want people to think that. I kind of feel like that's yeah. what Walmart high-end fashion, I would have loved to see Walmart come out and say, we're doing you know nicer casual wear. We're doing you know an affordable line of jeans or whatever it is that, yeah. that's better than what we've sold before. But I actually like what Dix is doing. So Dix, uh, they're launching VRST. I'm not sure how you say that. Uh, it's a men's... It's a men's <laughs> athletics apparel apparel brand. Their goal is to take on Lululemon. And I like the idea that they're doing a high-end line at lower prices than Lulu, but Lu- Lululemon has a big hold over women. I don't think it has a big hold over men. And when you go into a Dix, they're already selling Nike and Reebok alongside some of their own brands. So I, I don't think it's as big a leap. And I know as a man who owns a lot of gym clothes, uh, you know, I, I, I work out quite a bit, um, I, which I know you can't tell, but uh, you know, kind of strong here. Um, I would buy a nice feeling piece of, you know, a piece of clothing from Dick's that felt like it was quality. And I wouldn't care that it wasn't Under Armour or Lululemon or Nike. Uh, Steve, would you do the same? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, you know, I'm kind of with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this is an all right idea. Um, I, I think it's actually important to note that, um, you know, that, I mean, the men's business at Lululemon is growing relatively fast. I think, you know, they had double digit comps growth, uh, last couple of quarters, you know, so it's, it's sort of one of these sort of kind of growth areas, uh, that they can expand. Um, but you know, I, I don't think Dick's new brand is going to be, you know, some big threat. No, uh, I, I, I don't think they hurt. Lulu. I don't think they hurt Lulu at all. I think this is a smart is not a popular brand. Under Armour has struggled. So I think this is really a scenario where if this is a high quality line, Mm -hmm. Dix has the customers and maybe you're coming in to buy a canoe. Maybe you're coming in to buy a new pair of sneakers. And if I see a nice pair of shorts that I would wear to the gym or, you know, or an Under Armour style shirt, which I bought that style of shirt at Target for less money, I don't see why I wouldn't buy it. Because again, I know there's cachet when you're a teenager wearing Nike or Under Armour or what the the hot brand is. I'm pretty sure, Steve, at our age, that people at the gym do not care what we're wearing. Uh, and, <laughs> in fact, I, I would argue that we're in the prime invisible at the gym age. Uh, yeah. So what, what we're wearing is not relevant. But we're going to keep an eye on this. We are going to, uh, to, to, to focus on retail. We're going to focus on all sorts of things on coming shows. But Steve, we're, we're nearing the end here. Uh, if you have any last-minute questions or comments, feel free to get them in. J.E. says uh, he's pretty sure that Mickey Mouse will take stimulus money. And, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I do think some people who are in a good position that the stimulus money is a bonus. But remember, this stimulus check uh, phased out when individuals made over $80,000. I believe it's one fifty for a family. There are a lot of well-off-ish people uh, you know, if, you, if you're making 160 grand a year, but you live in a in a major city, you're doing fine, but you're not necessarily full of money to go on $6,000 vacations. There will absolutely be people that got extra money due to the pandemic, um, but there are also people that were hurting, that haven't worked, even some people with really good businesses that suffered. So 
I think you'll see a little bit of that in the bounce back effect. I do think Disney is a premier brand, but I think their big benefit is going to be next summer when people can be assured things are going to be normal. You're also going to see some major openings in the Florida theme parks uh, you know, that have been delayed. Construction slowed down on things like the Tron light cycle coaster at Magic Kingdom uh, or the Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster in Epcot. Uh, Ratatouille in France uh, in Epcot has been pushed back to October. I do think you are going to see some, some hesitation. All I was saying about the recovery is it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be, let's, let's say the president comes on TV or, or whoever comes on TV and says, pandemic over, we're good, 80% vaccination, herd immunity, all the variants are in, are in control, you can stop wearing a mask, you can do whatever it is you want. That is going to be great for a lot of things, but it's not going to happen all at one time. Like a lot of people aren't going to be able to go, oh, now it's okay. I'm going to take a week off in August. Maybe you had to request that six months before or whatever it is. So I'm bullish about the recovery, but I don't know that it's going to happen as quickly as people think it will, even as we are slowly putting a toehold into normal. But with that, Sam Bailey, let's pull up and hit our finisher. So there's a story behind this one. Before I came to Seven Investing, before I started broadcasting re- regularly in my previous job, I mean, I was doing podcasts, but before I was doing three or four hours a day, uh, and you can leave it up, Sam, if you want. I'm going to use it for part of them. So I did a personal podcast. One of the first things I did during the, the pandemic was I just launched a podcast with my friends. And the first one I did with Nick Seipel, our friend and former colleague. And we did a March Madness style bracket on what candy uh, we would want for a two-month lockdown. And we used two months because it was inconceivable to us that it would be longer than two months. And I believe the way we did it, I think Skittles won, which everyone absolutely hated us for that. I think we bracketed it incorrectly. It was an overall disaster. So I shared the top four here, uh, and Reese's Peanut Butter Cup won overwhelmingly. M&M's was second, Skittles third, Milky Way, my personal favorite, was fourth. Uh, Steve, couple of things. Uh, what would be your pick from the candy from the candy bile here? Or did I miss it completely? Is it something else that would be your uh, pandemic go-to? Oh man, if if I had candy for a two-month lockdown, I'd go Reese's Peanut Butter Cup because I could arguably call that a meal, right? <laughs> but uh, if I was going candy for pure enjoyment, I'd go straight up Skittles. That uh, We'll take one more comment from Max Lucas, who is going to be on this very program a week from Friday talking about his uh, guide for new investors. Uh, he points out there are so many Lululemon competitors. Uh, you know, he bal- Fabletics, uh, Balance, Jim Barron. I don't even know some of these. He says if Dix wants to be successful, they need to pay a ton of money to get influencers on board. I don't know that that's true. I think Dix has the advantage. They have physical stores. There are customers in those stores. They could display their wares. I've talked about this a lot with Amazon. I think Amazon should either buy Kohl's or partner with Kohl's to put its owned and operated brands on display at Kohl's, which has some pretty tired brands itself. If you walk by a cool looking athletic shirt at a Dick's and the price is good, there's every chance you're going to buy that. And I do understand if you want to be trendy, if you want to have my son want to go to Dick's to buy a shirt, well, you probably have to pay some rapper I've never heard of to wear it. Um, but I don't think that's the Dick's audience. I think Dick's is going after a sporting audience that's going to worry more about will it perform? Will it, will it be comfortable while I'm playing basketball or swimming or working out at the gym or, or whatever it is. Did I lose you there, Dan? Having some technical difficulties. Oh, there we go. 
Yeah, we've had a weird technical difficulty show. I just disappeared. I don't know what the audience saw. <laughs> so with that, we're going to close today's edition of 7 Investing Now. If you want to get in touch with us, it is very easy to do. The email is info at 7investing.com. That is usually Steve answering questions. He'll throw them out to the team. That's a lot of uh, you know stuff that's good. You know, Do you have questions about the service? Do you have questions for how the picks work? Um, you know, is something not working for you? Whatever it is, send that to info at seveninvesting.com. And if you want to interact with us on the internet, uh, that is at seven investing on Twitter. We are happy to do that. We have a really active uh, Twitter life, all of us. So if you tweet at us, if you copy us in something, there is a decent chance we're going to respond and get involved. But I feel like we're on borrowed time with some of the technical issues we've had today. So with that, we will be back at 1230 on Friday with the 7 Investing team. See you Friday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.